Welcome back to a little audio podcast. On today's short scary story, we've got a good one. It's five stars. Like this podcast. It's called The Fork. It's the one and only three-parter. It's not really one, actually, then. It's three. Yeah, hope you enjoy the podcast. Ryan reached the top of the hill and looked down onto the town of Priska. It was a small, one-horse town in the upper Karoo Desert. The old church in the middle of the town still stood tall, the clock tower casting a long shadow in the late afternoon sun. The town looked like it was in fairly good condition, compared to the many of the other places he had passed through, though it seemed just as abandoned, which was seldom actually the case. He sighed, and scanned the streets and buildings for any signs of life. He had been walking for hours, and he was exhausted. The old Ford Focus he had managed to get running in Podchestrom had finally given in about 25 kilometers back, and he had been walking since. The hot desert sun had not made it easy, but he had made it. He needed to find food, shelter, and new transport, and hopefully he would be on his way to Namibia sooner rather than later. Ryan pulled the pair of binoculars he had out of his pack and scanned the town again for a couple of minutes. There were a few shops in Priska which had sold food and supplies, though these would have more than likely been looted since. He was inclined to check the general store, seeing as Priska was a farm town, but it would probably be also empty. Surrounding farms could prove fruitful and might warrant a trip out but he would avoid prolonging his stay closer to town if he could. Where there were towns, trouble was usually not far off. A slight movement caught his eye in the window of a building he was examining. He quickly jerked the binoculars to focus on this particular window, and he thought he just caught a glimpse of someone moving out of sight. He examined the building for a few moments longer, waiting for another glimpse at what had caught his eye. But all was quiet once again. Ryan sighed again. Of course, this town wouldn't be empty. Why would anything ever be easy? Lowering the binoculars, he glanced up at the sinking sun. He had to get undercover before nightfall, especially if he wasn't alone. He packed away his binoculars, shouldered his pack, picked up his rifle and started down the hill. He knew Priska well. In the native Karana tongue, Priska translated to the place of the lost she-goat. His grandparents had lived there for many years and growing up he had often visited. The butchery was where they sold the best biltong he had ever tasted and the small corner shop often gave him free candy when he entered. But his favourite place in town was the old fort on the Priska copy. The British had built it during the Anglo-Boer War, and the sense of history he had felt when he first visited it always lured him back. He looked up and could see it from the other side of town. It seemed to watch over the small town in an ominous silence.
Ryan descended the hill and reached the edge of town as the sun was lowering behind the buildings. Time to focus, buddy. He cocked his Remington and took a few deep breaths to steady himself. He didn't know what to expect, and after all this time he still wasn't sure what he dreaded more, coming across bandits or lurkers. One thing he had learned on his journey from Johannesburg was that people were capable of unparalleled cruelty and that they could just be as fear-inducing as any lurker he had come across. And he had come across many. He quickly moved up to the closest building, looking in all directions as he approached. Slowly he peered around the wall and down the street, heading into Priska. Nothing stirred. Cautiously, he headed down the street, staying low and close to the building. It was some sort of government building and held no real interest for him. Shelter was now his number one concern, as the lurkers became particularly active after sundown. This he had learned early on in his exodus from Johannesburg, when he had first opted to travel only by night to avoid desperate people looking for help, and those people who always seemed to thrive in humanity's darkest times. These people seemed to enjoy the lawlessness and the suffering, and they were more than willing to add to it if it benefited them. Reaching an intersection, he quickly scanned both ways and behind him before proceeding. The residential area started only a few blocks ahead of him, and he had figured he would be able to hold up in an old abandoned house for the night. It was now fully dark, but the moon gave a generous amount of light. Ryan had crossed another intersection when he heard a groan and footsteps around the next corner. He froze and backed up a few steps. Raising the rifle, he steeled himself for what would emerge. Another groan and then a hiss came from around the corner and a few seconds later, a small figure stepped into view. Ryan recoiled. He had seen many lurkers, but even this was new for him. A boy, no more than three, stood a few feet before him. At least, it used to be a boy. The boy's eyes were a feral yellow, unfocused and crazed. He was bleeding from his mouth and his skin had a greyish hue to it, like ash. Black veins were all over his body, thick and bulging as if they were struggling to pump the blood through. This was the youngest lurker Ryan had ever seen. They were always young, but never this young. He looked up at Ryan, and at first it seemed as if he looked right through him. And then his eyes seemed to focus, and hate and anger filled them. He hissed like a snake and sprang forward, coming at Ryan at full tilt. The scariest thing about the lurkers were their speed, and what took him off guard even more was the agility of the young, former young boy. Ryan had been frozen where he saw the boy, but now, with a hissing feral lurker charging at him, his survival instinct which kept him alive for so long quickly kicked in. He raised his rifle and fired a single shot, hitting the lurker mid-leap and instantly dropping him. The gunshot's echo thundered through the small town and now Ryan was in trouble. If there were more lurkers around they would come running. 
and if there were bandits around. So would they. Usually, Ryan dispatched single lurkers with the trusty hand axe he kept at his side, but the young lurker had shocked him out of his wits. Quickly chambering another round, he started forward again, this time jogging. An instant later, he heard a shriek to his left, which was answered by another to his right. Well, shit. He started sprinting. He heard shrieks, screams, and hisses approaching from both sides, and Ryan started to panic. He was desperately looking around for a place of safety. Anything that could save him from the oncoming death rush. He glanced over his shoulder, but the street was empty. For now. He spotted a small side street a couple of yards ahead and ducked into it. Clambering onto a nearby dumpster, he was able to reach the roof of the adjoining building and quickly hoisted himself up. He rolled away from the edge and took a few calming breaths. Slowly, he peered over the edge, just as a dozen or so lurkers poured into the street from each direction. Searching for the cause of the gunshot, they sprinted up and down the street, teeth gnashing, the black veins crisscrossing their bodies were visible to Ryan even from a distance. They quickly found the body of the one he had killed, and anger seemed to ripple through the group. Their gnashing and hissing intensified, and they raced up and down the street, looking for the one responsible. It had been three years since Revelations. The media had named it after the book in the Bible, had crashed into the desert of Texas in the United States. The large asteroid had done considerable damage to the area, but as it crashed in a fairly deserted area, few human lives were lost. It was what came after that had given the asteroid its name. Days after the asteroid hit, reports began to come in of first responders dying to some sort of disease. Doctors were baffled, as it started very much like flu, but quickly escalated with Ebola-like symptoms. Soon, the afflicted would die of a massive organ failure, only a few hours after the first symptoms showed. After the scientists that visited the scene began to die as well, the connection was made to the asteroid and the crash site was quarantined. The last few people to have come in contact with the asteroid quickly died. The families and anyone who had come in close proximity to the responders and scientists were also quarantined, as they had no idea if the disease was infectious. But days after of tests and monitoring, it was concluded that the disease was in fact not infectious, and the quarantine people were allowed to leave. They were so, so wrong. Ryan's attention was brought back to the present when a lurker entered the side street he had used to get to the roof and started sniffing around the dumpster. Ryan had quickly learned a few important things about them through his various encounters. They were extremely fast. You can't outrun them. On top of that, they have incredible endurance. They never stopped coming. Once they saw you or smelled you, which was another thing that made them difficult to evade, they would pursue you relentlessly, risking self-injury and even death to try and reach you. They had no inclination to self-preservation whatsoever. The only thing that seemed to drive them was their need to kill. They did not feed on humans, in fact. Ryan had never seen them eat anything. They merely killed them. The only way Ryan knew how to get the lurker off your tail was to kill it or to put enough distance between yourself and it, and that meant kilometers. 
Ryan watched the lurker continue sniffing around the dumpster and suddenly, it looked up. Somehow Ryan had expected this, and was just able to dope behind the edge in time to avoid being spotted. But if it had his scent, it would soon attempt to follow him onto the roof. Ryan quickly scanned the roof and summed up his options. He saw the neighbouring building was a two-storey and that he might be able to jump onto the balcony. Not really having much choice, he quietly sprang up and carefully made his way onto the edge. The balcony was slightly lower than he was, but it was a fair distance away. He shouldered his rifle and took a few quick breaths, tensing his whole body. He managed a few quick steps and jumped. His hands caught the railing of the balcony and his body slammed into it, causing it to rattle. He tried to pull himself up, but his left hand slipped onto the cool metal and he almost dropped into the alley below. Hanging by one hand, he looked down and saw several lurkers speeding this way and that. They had not looked up yet. With great effort, he managed to get his left hand onto the railing again and started to pull himself up. He was soon able to use his legs to help himself up and seconds later, he was on the correct side of the railing. He was panting and Ryan stood with his hands on his knees looking back to the way he had come. He was about to turn when he heard the click of a revolver being cocked behind his head. Slowly straighten, drop your rifle and pack on the ground. Don't turn around. It was a female voice with a thick Afrikaans accent, and he guessed the person behind it fairly young. Look, I don't want any trouble. I'm just running from those things, please. He spoke calmly and clearly. I don't really care. Do as I say or you'll soon join them down there. Ryan slowly straightened, unslung his rifle and pack and carefully laid them on the ground. The woman stepped forth and Ryan could hear her crouch to grab his rifle. In a flash, he spun around the other way in the same movement drawing his small axe from its sheath beneath his coat. He grabbed the wrist she was holding the revolver in and jerked it sideways, causing her to drop the weapon. He then spun her around and in another swift movement pinned her arm behind her, slammed her against the wall and brought the axe up to her throat. This all happened in maybe three seconds. She tensed, but mostly seemed shocked by the speed of which he had disarmed her. I didn't want to hurt you. I'm just passing through the town and I got attacked. I didn't even know that there were anyone in this place. She tried to look at him, but he still held her firmly against the wall her cheek flat against it. Now I'm going to let you go. I don't want to hurt you, but that doesn't mean I won't. If you leave me no choice, stay calm. Don't do anything stupid and we'll both live through the night and we can die tomorrow. Do we have an understanding? She seemed to think for a second and then slowly nodded. Ryan released her and stepped back quickly stooping to retrieve her revolver. She turned around, rubbing her wrist and then her cheek. She was beautiful and young. Ryan guessed her at no more than twenty. She was the youngest person he had ever seen since everything had started. Well, the youngest normal person. She had wild curly black hair and bright blue eyes. Even in the moonlight, he could see that she had freckles. She was a great deal shorter than him and was slightly built, 
She looked him up and down in return but remained silent. What's your name? he asked, opening the revolver and seeing that it was empty. Helena, she said, looking at him and the revolver with indifference. Do you even have bullets? She folded her arms and shrugged. I found it a while back. Could never get it open to check. He handed her the revolver and picked up his pack and rifle. Do you stay here alone? She looked back into the room, but it was dark inside and he couldn't see past the door. Not when it started. She didn't elaborate, so Ryan decided not to ask. I'm Ryan. He held out his hand and she looked at it for a couple of moments before she shook it. I'd say it's nice to meet you, Ryan. But you did just slam me into a wall and nearly tear my arm off. Her lips curled into a slightest of grins, though she thought it was just nerves. Says the one who had a gun to my head and threatened to throw me to the lurkers. Is that what you call them? Lurkers? Why? He sighed, looking back down into the alley. It was deserted. Have you ever seen them in a day? They walk around slowly as if they were high or drunk, right? She nodded. Well. Well, at night, they move much quicker. And they walk sort of hunched over. To me, it always looked like they were, they were lurking. Huh. I just called them crazies. Are they still human? She hugged herself and Ryan got the impression that this was an involuntary moment. To be honest, I don't know. But the way they attack you definitely isn't. Have you killed any of them? Was it your gunshot I heard earlier? Yes. And yes. She looked him up and down again. This time, what seemed to be with a little more respect. How did you do that? She asked as he sheathed his axe. Do what? Take my gun away from me so quickly. Are you some kind of soldier? He chuckled humorously. <laughs> I've been on the road a very long time and it's something that I've just learned along the way. She looked impressed. Where are you from? Joburg. Look, I'll answer all the questions you want, but can we please go inside? She looked him up and down and nodded. She headed into the room and he followed. It was pitch black inside and he could barely make it out as what he thought was some furniture. He turned and closed the glass sliding door. Then she closed a heavy, sturdy-looking metal gate, which she then proceeded to lock with two bolts and a key. After this, she moved to a corner close to the door and lifted what looked like plywood, which she placed in front of the door and locked in place with an improvised latch. Finally, she drew the curtains closed. They were thick, black and spilled all the way down to the floor. Taking a few steps into the room, she passed Ryan and then bent down. A second later, a match sparked into life and she used it to light a lantern. She took the lantern and switched on two more camping lights. She turned to look at Ryan. They're solar powered, so that makes things easier. As his eyes adjusted, he looked around. They were in what Ryan guessed was probably an open plan living room of a larger flat. He could see a makeshift kitchen and there were two couches, an armchair, and a bed in the corner of the living room. She saw him looking around. I used to live here with my mum and sister. There is a downstairs as well, but after. 
I didn't need that much spice, and it felt safer being up here. I only go down there when I have to go out. And then, only in the day. They're smart. They're not very active in the daylight. Why is that? She asked. I really don't know. So you've been on your own since the beginning? How have you survived? He was really interested, but he knew as soon as he said that, he came across as an insult. Literal amazement that she was still alive. <laughs> okay, fuck you, buddy. She said fiercely. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it like that. I'm just... I meant, how did you survive literally? Like, what did you do for food, supplies, with their bandits? And how did you dodge the lurkers? That's all. She glared at him for a couple of seconds, but said nothing. He looked down at his shoes and then back up at her. How did you manage to block everything off like this? He said, and gestured to the fortified door as he'd just passed through. Her look softened a little, and then she smirked. I've just been alone for a very long time, and it's something I had to learn along the way. Ryan smiled. Are you thirsty? I've got quite a lot of water, even a couple of bottles of booze. Water would be great, thanks. She moved off to the kitchen, while Ryan chose the comfortable-looking armchair and gave him a great view of the door that he assumed led downstairs, and the door they had just passed through. He sank down onto it, and it was really comfortable. Laying his back and his rifle next to him, he sat back in the chair and sighed deeply. He had had a very long day, and he was exhausted. He closed his eyes. A few days after the quarantine people were released, the news started reporting some very disturbing things. At first, it was only isolated reports in Texas, but soon, these reports were coming from all over America. Children were attacking and killing their parents. Well, at first, it was their parents. Then, it started to look like anyone was free game. News reports about children killing their parents in their sleep were heard. Stories of whole classrooms turning on their teachers and ripping them to shreds came to light. Videos of children throwing their parents and bystanders off of balconies in shopping malls became all the more frequent. Something was making the children in America crazy. Soon, some people started connecting the dots, noting some of the first attacks by kids were by the children of the first responders. The same first responders who had died due to a mysterious disease. Some believed that the disease they had died from had somehow passed to the children, making them insane. It was around this time that the other countries started reporting the same horrific stories. South Africa was one of the first. It had always been a popular tourist destination. Scientists then concluded that the only way this sickness would be able to spread so quickly as if it was airborne. It was theorized that adults could carry it and help to spread it, even though there were no symptoms were ever noted in adults. Within a few weeks, containment measures were put in place, but it was too late. It was global, and the authorities had no plan, no way forward, and no cure. Only a couple of days before the entire country started going dark, scientists released the last and perhaps the most disturbing findings. Babies. Fetuses. In the womb were also susceptible, and countless pregnant women had died, though the explanation was hard to swallow. 
their unborn children had killed them from the inside, even after the mother had died and the fetus had been removed. It still showed heightened agility and aggression. It was also theorized that children up to the age of 17 or 18 were still susceptible, but it seemed to also depend on the individual. Some 16-year-olds remained unaffected, while some young adults of up to 20 years of age were afflicted. It was literally the end of the world. Not only was the youth of the world going into a murderous rampage, but no new children were being born. It was the end of man. Ryan was jerked awake by a loud bang. Grabbing his rifle, he jumped up and looked around, fighting off the sleep which he had so recklessly allowed to take him. He saw Helena standing in the kitchen, eyes wide with fear. The bang came again and Ryan realised it was coming through the door that they had entered earlier. Fuck, he hissed. They must have followed me here. Glass shattered, and he knew that they had broken the glass door. The large metal gate rattled. We need to move now, he said to Helena, but she remained still, staring at the covered door. Helena, now! Ryan slung his pack on and moved towards her. The, the gate will hold, they can't get in, she whimpered, tears beginning to stream down her face. He reached her and took her hold of her shoulders. Look at me, Helena, look at me, he ordered, and she finally looked into his eyes. I know you're scared, I am too, but we need to get out of here. Nothing's going to hold against them forever, they will get in. She sobbed again, but nodded. Grab whatever food and water you have, quick. Ryan turned, keeping an eye on the door, while she hurried about in the small kitchen, throwing cans of food and bottles of water into her backpack. The gate was still being attacked, and Ryan heard something break. One of the deadbolts must have broken. Ryan waited as long as he could, but after a couple of seconds more, he felt they had to move. Okay, that's enough, we have to go. Which door? He took her arm and led her to the other two doors in the room. She pointed at the one opposite the balcony. Ryan opened it and found another large piece of plywood blocking their path. With a savage kick, he sent it tumbling down the stairs leading down. Quickly, but cautiously, he led the way down, rifle raised and ready. The first floor was pitch black, but he sensed it was a much larger room than the one upstairs. Which way? he whispered as the racket upstairs continued. The back door's that way. It comes out below the balcony front door it is, he replied. She took his arm and led him to the right, around the obstacles, as his eyes adjusted. He thought he saw two bodies against the wall, but he couldn't be sure. Helena moved out in front of him and bent down. He heard two clicks, and then she stood up, and then he heard two more clicks. She removed another large piece of plywood, and a wooden door with a small window was revealed. Light streamed in and Ryan couldn't help but look back at where he thought he saw the bodies. His night vision had been proven correct, as two skeletal bodies were propped up against the wall in sitting positions. The one looked to be no more than a child and the other adult. He looked back at her and he saw her staring at them too. She looked into his eyes and new tears were flowing freely. He looked down for a moment and then stepped up to the door, looking through the window. The street looked empty. A loud crash came from upstairs as the gate came down. Come on, he whispered as he tried opening the door. It was locked, but Helena quickly stepped forward and flipped the deadbolts and removed the chain. He opened the door an inch and peered out, 
Quickly, he stepped out and allowed her to follow, and then quietly shut the door. They could hear the lurkers crashing down the stairs looking for them. Ryan headed in the direction of the fort, hoping to hide there until sunrise. He felt they needed to get out to the centre of town, away from the obviously large concentration of lurkers. Where are we going? Helena whispered behind him. To the fort. Why? They've got my scent. That's how they followed me to your place. We need to get out of town and away from them. Put some distance between us. If we hide somewhere in town, they'll quickly find us again. They stayed close to the buildings, trying to keep low. Ryan had them move quickly, and they could hear the sounds of the lurkers echoing through the town. A couple of times, they ducked into doorways and behind trees when they spotted one. It was chilling seeing those former children running rabid around the town. Knowing that at any moment, they could be seen and attacked. The final stretch was open ground. They'd have to cross a road, a small field and a graveyard before reaching the bottom of the copy. Ryan scanned the area looking for lurkers, but spotted none. Come on, he started jogging, and Helena followed. They had just reached the graveyard when they heard a shriek behind them. The same lurker who had sniffed around the dumpster had spotted them, or tracked him. It was about 60 meters away and it was a large one. Ryan guessed that it had probably been a sports star in the old world. Its shriek had alerted the others, and within seconds, six lurkers were bearing down on them. Run! Ryan screamed and Helena took off into the graveyard. Ryan raised his rifle and got the closest one in his sights. Squeezing the trigger, the rifle fired and the lurker dropped. The others didn't seem to notice. They only kept coming. Ryan again chambered around and brought another one down. He turned and sprinted after Helena, reloading as he ran. The remaining three were after him, and they were gaining quickly. Reloading while running was not easy, but Ryan had managed it on previous occasions. Finally, he was done. Glancing over his shoulder, he saw that they had gained significantly, and they were only a couple of meters behind him. He was about to turn to take down one or two, when his foot caught on a broken headstone protruding from the ground. He went sprawling and the rifle flew from his hands. Landing hard, he could hear the gnashing, hissing monsters approaching. He desperately crawled forward to where his rifle had landed. Panic threatening to take hold. Reaching it, he grabbed it and turned, still lying on his back. A lurker was almost on him, and he fired immediately striking it in the chest. It crumpled to the ground, almost landing on top of him. He quickly ejected the spent cartridge and chambered another. But before he could pull the trigger, the next one was on him. It dived onto him, causing him again to lose the rifle. Ryan managed to get his hands up, keeping it away from the neck, and it tried to rip his throat open with its teeth. Soon, its hands were wrapped around Ryan's neck and it started squeezing. Ryan started panicking as his windpipe was cut off. With his right hand, he let go of the lurker and reached under his coat, drawing a small axe. He put it to the creature's neck, and with all his strength and both hands he jammed it upward. Blood spewed from the wound, covering Ryan's face and chest. But the lurker became limp, and Ryan threw it aside. Coughing and retching, he got to his knees before he was shaken by the sound of another gunshot. His head whipped up, just to see the final lurker dropping, most of its head gone, 
Ryan looked up to where the rifle had dropped and saw Helena standing there, the rifle in her hands and the barrel smoking. Ryan collapsed into a sitting position, taking a few more moments to cough to get his breath back. Finally, he looked up at Helena, who had walked over and was now crouching beside them. Thanks, he managed before bustling into another coughing fit. No problem, she smiled back. Ryan looked at the one she had shot and saw that it was a big one that attracted him. We have to move. The gunshots will draw them here. He wheezed and he got to his feet. He took the rifle back from her and reloaded. He only had a dozen rounds left. They headed to the fort, now looming over them in the night sky, the moon right behind it. And in the dark it looked like an old castle. It made Ryan think of Dracula. They had just started climbing the hill when they heard more shrieks behind them. He looked back and saw dozens, maybe hundreds, of lurkers pouring into the field. Go, 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 he yelled as they doubled their pace. The hill wasn't very steep, but the climb was tricky due to the loose gravel and rocks. Twice, in a matter of seconds, they both slid back several feet. Halfway up, Ryan glanced back and saw that several lurkers had already reached the bottom of the hill. They were only thing going for them at this stage was that the lurkers attacked the hill with such speed and aggression that they too constantly slid back down. Ryan thought about firing off a couple rounds, but there were too many, and the effects would be minimal. He focused again on scaling that hill and eventually they reached the top. They were both panting and looking down as they saw some of their pursuers were already halfway up. What now? Helena asked, panically seeming just under the surface. Ryan took a moment and looked around. The fort was a couple of meters in front of them and a small shed was off to the right. No more than a few meters wide, the fort was about six meters high, and the rock it was built from protruded slightly, giving Ryan an idea. Climb the fort, he said simply. Helena looked at him as if he was mad. Climb the fort, we get on top. It has no door so we can't go inside. They'll break down that shed in seconds and we can't go running into the night over the flat plains. They catch us before we have made it a kilometer. If we make it to sunrise, we might have a chance. They're not the best climbers and I still have a couple rounds left. She stared at him for a couple seconds more, internally debating what he had said. Making up her mind, she ran to the fort and he followed. He gave her a boost and followed after she was more than a halfway up. They reached the top fairly easily and there were several good gripping places along the wall. Ryan had only hoped that the lurkers' blind aggression and insanity preventing them from finding them too. They sat on the edge of the roof and waited. The original roof had caved in many years before it had been replaced by flimsy, corrugated metal. It looked very precarious. They heard the sounds of the creature struggling up the hill. As it was becoming louder and louder, Ryan had given Helena his axe. He sat ready, waiting with his loaded rifle. Was... was that your mom and sister? Ryan asked gently. She didn't respond immediately. Yes, she said quietly. It wasn't long after we began seeing the things happening in Johannesburg and Pretoria that it began happening here. It was just a street kid here or there, attacking adults on the main street and in front of shops. They were quickly dealt with. Eva locked up and some were even shot. But the local kids began getting aggressive as well and my mum was smart enough to keep my sister in the house 
as soon as she saw the news and stories on TV. She was always overprotective and paranoid like that. It kept my sister, herself, for much longer than the others. Soon the community started breaking down. There were lots and lots of kids in the township on the edge of town. And one night they all stormed into Priska, killing everyone they came across. We hid upstairs in the closet. And the next day, we started boarding up the flat. We didn't have a car, so we couldn't leave. I was just visiting from university, and my mum worked in the post office for fuck's sake. She had started crying. So we hid. I went out in the day with a butcher knife, if we needed something. And in the evenings, we boarded up the house, kept the lights off and hid. She laughed through her tears. I don't know what we thought I would do with the knife if we ran into real trouble. But it made me feel safer. It was about a week after the initial attack that my sister started to change. She became agitated, snapping at us over the smallest things. Two days later, she began running a fever and her skin became pale. It was almost dark that day when my mum sent me out to look for some antibiotics and something to help with the fever. I could see that she didn't want to, but I insisted. I had to help my little sister. That was the only time I'd been out in the dark before tonight. Finding the medicine wasn't even that hard. The town was abandoned pretty quickly, and most people left everything just like it was. When I got back to the flat, I could hear a commotion inside. I rushed through the door to see my sister standing over my mum. Her mouth bloody and blood gushing from my mother's neck. My little sister had killed my mum. At this point she broke down, but Ryan thought that it was a good idea that she was talking about it. He realised then that he was probably the first person she had seen in almost three years. He laid a hand on her shoulder. She came at me, no words or explanation. Not even a threat or a curse. She just attacked. I had to raise my hands to protect myself and she dove me to the ground. But suddenly she went rigid and then limp. I was still holding the knife when she attacked. I had actually forgotten I had it. And I stabbed my own sister in the heart. She broke down again, sobbing uncontrollably into Ryan's shoulder. Helena, listen. He lifted her chin and looked into her sad blue eyes. That wasn't your sister anymore. If you hadn't done what you did, you'd be dead. He wiped a tear off her cheek, and I'd be sitting here alone right now. He added with a smile. She returned his smile, and suddenly kissed him. He returned her kiss. It was innocent somehow. Only asking for someone, anyone, to care for her again. Not to be alone anymore, for just a moment. Both Helena and Ryan forgot about their grief and anger and pain, and lost themselves completely in that moment. But only for a moment. A high-pitched scream broke them apart and brought them back down to earth hard. The first lurker had managed to scale the gravelly hill, and it was soon joined by another. And then another. Ryan got on his one knee and raised his rifle, but didn't fire. The lurkers didn't immediately spot them, but started running around erratically, looking for them. Shoot them. Shoot them. Helena whispered. 
I don't have a lot of ammo. If I shoot, it has to count. One of the monsters spotted them, let loose a blood-curdling shriek and sprinted at the fort. The others followed suit, and all of the lurkers cresting the hill did the same. Soon, a sea of lurkers was gathered around the fort, all jostling, biting, and hitting to get to the front. The ones were at the front, jumping and reaching for the top, but so far, none had tried climbing. Ryan and Helena sat atop the fort, nervously trying to look in all directions, waiting for the first to start climbing. Eventually, one lurker, he had seemed to have been around 15, jumped and managed to grab hold of a ledge a few feet up. It seemed almost an accident, but it now knew what to do. It grabbed onto the ledge, but when it tried for the third, in its haste it missed and went tumbling down. It fell over backwards and landed on the back of its neck. Even through the chaos they heard its neck crack. It was swallowed by this sea of lurkers, and they didn't see it again. But soon another managed to grab on top of a protruding piece of wall. It hoisted itself up, and then it made it much higher before also tumbling down. This one returned though, and immediately began climbing again. Others around it saw what it was doing, and several more attempted to climb the old structure. The first one had made it more than halfway, and was only a few feet away when Ryan decided it was close enough. Firing a single shot, the lurker fell back to earth. Now though, it seemed as if the fort was being swarmed. All around the fort they were climbing, and the biggest problem they had was not being able to see the other side of the structure. Ryan was forced to fire six more times, sending the monsters tumbling back down. They did not have long, and would soon be overrun. Helena looked at Ryan, her eyes pleading for him to save them, but he was all out of ideas for the moment. Ryan dispatched another lurker, which nearly made it to the top, when he heard Helena yell. Two of them had managed to reach the top on the other side of the fort. Ryan raised his rifle, but the weapon only clicked harmlessly. He quickly pulled out four more rounds and started reloading, but the lurkers would be on top of them in half the time he needed to finish. Helena raised the axe, but Ryan could see her shaking. The two lurkers jumped forward and fell right through the roof. The roof collapsed outward, and Ryan and Helena were left standing on the wall of the fort. Looking into the fort, Ryan could see the lurkers streaming through the door, and trying to reach them from the inside as well. He quickly finished reloading. It was his last four rounds. He started to think that maybe this had been a terrible idea. Ryan! Helena screamed. What do we do? Ryan looked at the swarm of monsters trying to climb the walls of the fort, both on the inside and out. One had even made it to the top again, on the opposite side. But in its haste to reach them, it fell after taking only a few steps due to overbalancing. Ryan was stumped and despair was about to engulf him. He could see no way out. For a moment his eyes glazed over and then he remembered the last time he had seen his wife, right before her father's small Cessna 152 had taken off. She had pleaded to stay behind with him, to go searching for his brother together, but he had refused. The only thing that will make me feel better, that will keep me going, is knowing that you're safe. He said to her through tears. I'll find Matt, and then we'll meet you back at your dad's farm. Just go with him. Get there, make it safe. It'll be okay. I will find you. I will make it. He had embraced her, but she wouldn't let go. 
he had to forcefully remove her to get her into the plane, using his father-in-law's help. She had been hysterical, but finally the plane had risen into the air and out of sight, and Ryan had been alone. I will find you. I will make it, he whispered. His eyes focused again and he raised his rifle. Leia. I'm sorry, he said just as the sun started to peek over the horizon. Almost instantaneously, the lurkers quieted down and became less frenzied. Their movements slowed, becoming almost lethargic, and their screams and shrieks became low moans and grunts. Helena looked up at Ryan, and a look of fright and confusion replaced a little relief she had shown at the change in the monster's behaviour. Ryan? What? I'm sorry, he said again, and squeezed the trigger. The rifle roared and the bullet slammed into Helena's right thigh. She screamed and dropped the axe. She fell forward onto the wall, and for a moment, it seemed as if she would manage to hold on. Ryan stepped forward as if to help her, but only grabbed the pack, filled with food on her back. As if in slow motion, she slid sideways and fell down the outside of the wall, leaving the pack in Ryan's hands. She screamed again as she fell, and her eyes met Ryan's, confusion and shock reflected there, but also sadness. She disappeared into the ocean of waiting lurkers as he immediately attacked her. Even the monster scaling the wall jumped off to get her, albeit in a more distracted way than the frenzied creatures of minutes before. Her screams erupted from beneath a mass of murdering bodies, and it seemed to draw them toward her. Ryan watched as the lurkers all slowly moved around the fort to the place where she had fallen, even those inside. He bowed his head for a moment, anguished at what he had once again had to do to try to keep the promise to his wife. He had thought he had learned to live with the things he had done, but this moment had brought them all back. Helena's screams were suddenly cut short, and Ryan knew that he had to move, slowly, he crept along the wall to the other side of the fort and started climbing down. All the lurkers had moved to where she had fallen, and he remained unseen. Reaching the ground, he quickly moved away, keeping the fort between him and the lurkers. Using a wide arch, Ryan entered Prisca again many hours later, moving as quickly as his tired body would allow. He searched houses, shops, and any building that he found for supplies and food. He didn't find much, but more than he would have expected so long after society had fallen. He then quickly inspected vehicle after vehicle, but could not get one to run. Cursing his luck, he found a bicycle in a post office and a hand pump in the general store. After inflating the wheels, he started pedaling in the direction of Uppington. He decided that he would rather sleep next to the road on the ground than spend another night in Prisca. As he reached the edge of town, he slowed to a stop. Slowly, he turned and looked at the fort, still standing unaltered atop its copy. It'll probably still be there in a hundred years, Ryan thought, sighing, his tired body protesting at every movement he made. He started pedalling. Alright, how good was that? I think you should rate it five stars, to be honest. Ryan's a bit of a dick. I mean, he didn't have to kiss the lady and, uh... 
shoot her in the leg. Not really a, not really something I would do. I'm a gentleman, you see. I would shoot her in the leg first. Then I'd kiss her. Otherwise, you know, you're not really leading with the right tone. I'm glad you made it this far. If you made it this far, you may as well follow. I mean, you've already been here a bit of a while now. <laughs>